0: I am uh, going through the book of Ephesians with you now. We just got started last week, kind of in an introductory fashion. So I'm going to read the entire next section, even though I'm only going to cover verses three to six. There's just a lot there. But I want to read the whole section so, so you get the, uh, the overview and the context. Let's look at Ephesians chapter one, verses three through 14. Blessed be the God and Father. Of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us. might be to the praise of his glory in him. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Wow. What, what a what a deep passage with so much there. Paul lists. Our blessings that are ours in the heavenly realms, in that place of spiritual confrontation. That passage I just read to you in, in the original Greek language of the New Testament was one long sentence. So translators had to add punctuation to make it readable. It's like Paul was breathless here. Let me say by illustration that you were going to Washington, D.C. to go to the Smithsonian. You've never been before. And you have a friend who's been there. So your friend wants to tell you all about what you're going to see. So your friend says you're going to see Apollo 11 command module and all the moon stuff. You're going to see the Constitution, the Star Spangled Banner. You're going to see great art. There's a zoo there. There's a T-Rex there. And he goes on and on and on without stopping. And that's what Paul is doing. It's like he's breathless. You're going to. Receive this and this and this. You've got to see this. That's kind of the attitude of Paul. He's just seeing that there's so much there. A world-class museum full of great stuff that God has for you. Now, we read several spiritual blessings in the first few verses of what's in our heavenly bank account. Today, we're going to look at the blessings that come from the Father. Next week. Same passage, just the verses down below 7 to 14. We're going to look at the blessings that we have in the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the blessings in the Father. And I want you to know that these blessings, spiritual blessings in the heavenly places are just as real as your problems and illnesses and sorrows that you're facing. Look at verse three. If you have your Bibles open or your phone Bible app, because we're just going to go down through these verses, we've been blessed. He's blessed us. Past tense, that means it's done, it's accomplished. Think of it as Christ's last will and testament, which when he died, it was put into effect for you. Reminds me of the story of the guy that was worth 80 million. And when he died, sadly, his family were chomping at the bit for the reading of the will. You know, how much am I going to get? So they showed up at the lawyer's office and he opened the will and began to read it. He seen I being of sound mind and body. I spent it all. <laughs> what a shock. Christ paid it all. And he deposited it into our heavenly bank account, as it were. And now we make withdrawals. It's who we are in Christ. It's a truth. I need to know what has the father blessed us with two things from the father. The first is he chose us. That's the first spiritual blessing in our heavenly account. He also uses a similar word predestined there. Now, chosen has to do with people, with groups. Predestined is a phrase that has to do with purposes. Now, these two words stir up all kinds of excitement and consternation in Christian circles. Calvinism versus Arminianism. Which is it? Is it sovereignty or free will? Why do we have to choose between the two? Why can't we have it all? Some think, well, if God has chosen who are Christians, then I didn't have a choice. What's the point of witnessing? What's the point of sending missionaries? You know, that's the wrong approach. And as a result, Christians have become fatalistic and apathetic, even about sharing their faith. Reminds me of the church board whom Hudson Taylor went to long ago because he felt a burden and call on his heart to go to take the gospel to China. So he went to this denominational church board leaders and shared that desire. And they said, Mr. Taylor, God can save the Chinese with or without you and me. And that's totally wrong thinking. There are verses in the Bible that emphasize both. They are. And we have to keep them in balance. From heaven's viewpoint, God chose. From earth's viewpoint, we respond. Let's read a couple passages where both ideas are in the same verse. First Philippians 2:12 and 13 Therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only as in my presence but much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure Look at Acts 2:23 This Jesus delivered up According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Think of a pulley with two ropes. If you only hold on to one, then the the thing's going to fall. You need to hold on to both to keep it in balance. At a Christian college, and, and this is just a made up story. I know it sounds like it's true, but I'm just making this up. Christian college. In the fall, students can go to the various groups on campus and decide which group they want to be in. OK, so a student is there deciding what group do I want to be in? So he thinks, I am think I'm going to join the group, the God's sovereignty group. And so the other group is the God's free will group. And so he couldn't decide, but he decided to join the God's in control group. So he came to the group leaders and they asked him, who sent you? To be a part of our group. He said, no one sent me. I chose on my own free will to be in your group. And they said, no, we don't want you. Go to the other group. So he goes to the free will group and they say, we are so glad that you decided to join our group. And he said, I didn't decide. The other people told me that I had to join your group. And so they rejected him, too. You know what? It can get really ugly and systematic theology land if we let it. We need to stay balanced to take the whole counsel of God's word and hold it together. Look at a coin. If you have a coin, I have a coin right here. So let's say God's sovereignty is heads and free will is tails. Now, I want you to look at both sides of the coin at the same exact time. Go ahead and try to do that. I mean, you can flip it back and forth and see, oh, yeah, God's sovereignty. Oh, yeah, free will. But you can't see them both at the same time unless mirrors are involved. We're going to study God chose us today because that's what our text says. So we're going to look at that and understand that. We're going to emphasize that today. But remember, there's another side of the coin. Let's focus on the word chose. Let me illustrate it like this. I went to the grocery store and I bought a Coke. For everyone in this room, I stack all the Cokes up front and up on here, maybe on the front. And I paid for every Coke. Everyone gets one free. I say, whoever wants a Coke can freely come up and take one. And you know what? Everyone turns me down. Maybe you all like Pepsi. Maybe you like Diet Coke. Maybe you don't like soda. Maybe you're not thirsty. It cost me all my money to buy these Cokes and I don't want them to go to waste. So I tap 50 people on the shoulder and I tell them how cold and tasty that Coke is. And they decide to take one. I haven't been unfair to everyone else. I paid for them to have one. The offer is there. They can get one, but I chose 50 so it wouldn't be a total loss. Can those 50 people take credit? No, they can't take any credit. They didn't buy the Cokes. It wasn't their quick response that they have a Coke in their hand. They can't boast how much they love Coke. God chose us and he's fair to all. Let's read a number of verses that say that. Genesis eighteen twenty five. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked far be that from you shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just do what is right. We can we can know when it comes to eternal salvation in heaven and hell that God is going to do everything just perfect, right and fair. John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. God chose us for his purpose of being Holy and blameless. That's the result of being chosen. Not so we can live however we want. And when did he choose us? Before the foundation of the earth. Wow. That means I didn't have a whole lot to do with it. It's in the middle voice there. Chose. So that, that means we've been acted upon. That's a tremendous thought. Let that sink in for a moment. God wanted you Before he made the Rocky Mountains. Not when he saw all your potential and he thought, wow, they'll make a really great believer. I think I'll save them. He saw you as holy and blameless. Then he always had you in mind. When Adam and Eve sinned, God wasn't caught off guard and say, oh, no, what am I going to do now? He had a plan. He had a plan beyond time and space. An eternal plan. He sees the beginning from the end. He chose you to be holy. Hagios, same word as saints in verse 1. It means set apart, distinct, separate, special, whole. The word holy and whole sound similar, don't they? A holy person is a whole person. Not divided into parts. Good parts over here, bad parts over here. Sometimes I do good, sometimes I do bad. Blameless means a fifth sacrifice to offer God. It means without blemish. Paul is thinking of the Old Testament sacrifices, of which it says in Leviticus 1.3. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. So uh, without blemish offering to be accepted before the Lord. That's who we are. Paul is saying we're holy. We're blameless in his sight. We think we aren't holy. So then we live unholy lives. But we really are holy. So let's live like it. God has set you apart for himself. You are holy, whole, blameless in his eyes. No imperfections does he see, like his bride, Ephesians 527. So that he might present the church, us, to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And you know what? It's based on the cross. It's not based on your good deeds. You can't earn it. You can't work hard enough for it. You simply tap into your spiritual resources that God has given you. I know it can be hard to see truths like this. Hard to grasp it and believe it. Like we go outside and we look at our world and it looks flat. So we think, man, the world is flat. Earth is flat. Then we get up in a spaceship or and we look at the world and, man, It's round. From the heavenly perspective, you are holy. You're blameless. That's the truth. I don't always see it and I don't always live it out. But it's the truth about you and me. And that's why we need our Bibles and to be reading them every day. Get in the word to find the truth about you. We need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and he's there. We're going to see blessings from the Son and the Holy Spirit next week. So our first blessing from the father is I've been chosen. You've been chosen. The second is he adopted us. His predestination adopted you into his family. And that word adoption means son placing. And this is an interesting idea historically. So Paul is sitting in a Roman jail writing to the church at Ephesus. And he's very well aware of Roman adoption, which the father in the Latin household had absolute power until his death. He could even have his children killed if he wanted to. Very unusual that he would do so. But it wasn't so unusual that newborns, they would just say, I have enough kids. This child that was just born is of the wrong sex, so we're going to get rid of it. And he could do that. And they did that. They would go to a bridge if there was a river in town. And often their stories are they just toss that baby into the river. And there would be Christians waiting on the banks and jump in and swim over and rescue those babies. I'm 64 years old and my dad is 91. Let's say one of you gave me your business. Technically, it would belong to my dad. The son doesn't own anything. If a man adopts a son, then he loses all rights to his former family. He loses all his debts, too. He no longer owes his creditors anything. We have a debt to sin. It started in Adam and it's accumulated a lot. But God took us from Adam's family and adopted us into his. Our debts are all canceled and we have all the blessings of our new family the constraints and obligations of my old family are gone. Sin doesn't own me anymore. It doesn't tell me what to do anymore. I'm under new ownership. God is my father, not the devil. Jesus is my brother, not Adam. We are co-heirs with Christ. I like how Eugene Peterson translates Romans eight twelve to 17 in the message. So don't you see? That we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent. There's nothing in it for us. Nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a child like, What's next? Papa, God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are. Father and children, we've been adopted into a new family and we know we are going to get what's coming to us. An unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. We are in the same family as Jesus. All the rights and privileges of Christ are mine because of him. Ephesians 2, 6 says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And this isn't after you die. This is now spiritually. That's where you are placed in a place of authority and security because you're in Christ. Christ. What God does for Jesus, he does for me. God loves you even as he loves Jesus. I remember reading John seventeen twenty three, and this even as just blew up for me. And I just I couldn't believe my eyes. I thought even as Jesus me. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me. And loved them even as you love me. Just as, even as, the same as. I just, it blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. God, your love for me is that much? Man, that should make you feel great. You've been chosen before the foundation of the world. You're special, set apart, holy, holy blameless, adopted into God's family, loved as much as Jesus, highly favored. Now, some adopted people say, I want to meet my real parents. Others say that their adoptive parents are their real parents. They say they raised me. They wanted me. Well, God wanted you. He chose you. He didn't have to, but he wanted to. He did it according to the purpose of his will. He willed it. He wanted to do it. It gives God pleasure to bless you with all spiritual blessings. You being his, his child, gives him great pleasure. Now, in verse six, as a result of doing all that for us, he deserves to be praised. If salvation was 95% God and 5% you, then you would deserve 5% of the praise. But it's all by his glorious grace. Now, some Christians I have found have a hard time receiving grace. Let me give you a couple of things I thought as why. The first is our pride. We want to earn it. And if we earn it, then we can compare ourselves to other people and say, Well, they're a lousy bum compared to me. And then we can feel better about ourselves. I think some of us would rather push a rock up a mountain with our nose than just simply receive God's grace. A second thing is, I think it goes counter to the world, which says, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Even Stephen, God helps those who help themselves. You know, you've heard all this. Probably our parents kind of put this into our heads. We don't want to feel obligated. We don't want a handout. We want to work hard for all we get. And just simply receiving grace as undeserved people kind of goes counter to our work ethic. A third reason is other Christians. We see some Christians taking advantage of grace. They just keep on sinning. They live however they want and they seem to get away with it They're not really enjoying sin. There's always consequences guilt, diseases, problems, debt. Okay, so some people are grace freeloaders. So what? You don't have to be one. Don't worry about them. You just keep on living for God. Giving away grace gives glory to God. And the word glory means to magnify. You take a magnifying lens. What does it do? It makes something bigger. So when we magnify God and give glory to God, it makes him bigger. That word glory can also mean weight. God is weighty. He's heavy. He's big. By choosing us and adopting us, God is bigger than life and deserves to be praised. Let all glory that we can give him resound to his name. He's such a great father. So we're going to pray and then we're going to praise him again. And I hope that you will really praise him this morning for all he's worth. Oh, Lord, thank you. Our father, our good, good father. You have blessed us beyond imagination. In fact, we we hardly can grasp it. You're going to have to open our minds and enlighten us even more that we can see all who we are in Christ because of your son. To see where we're seated right now in heavenly realms that you chose us, you adopted us, you wanted us, you are making us and you see us as holy and blameless in your sight. These are great truths, Lord, and I pray that we can grasp them and then we can live out of that truth and not live under the lies of the devil anymore. We are wanted by you. Thank you, God, for who you are. And we want to praise you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and praise him.